Well, it hasn't happened yet. I'm Brian. I'm CJ. This is Isaac. And today we're going to talk about youth ministry. But first, we have some some uh, breaking uh, theological news and takes that we need to talk about. So Isaac, I'm going to turn it over to you. I, I don't know if this is a theological take, but... I actually so, guess. I, I, sorry, I, I'm going to cut you off immediately. How, what are we in? 20 seconds into the pod. Uh, I actually texted my my prediction of what I think it is to CJ. So we'll see if, we'll see if, if I'm right. Go ahead. Okay. Well, so the Falcon and the Winter Soldier came out, I guess, two weeks ago on Disney+. Plus, and I just been like... It just kills me. I, there's some stuff that I had to bring up on the pod. And... The big thing mainly is just how Marvel, the Marvel movies have always been like, you know, not so subtle propaganda for the military industrial complex. But Falcon and the Winter Soldier is like so next level on it that it's like disturbing to me and I have to talk about it. First of all, now at like post Avengers Endgame, apparently Falcon is just like working for the Air Force. He's just been... You know, he's now like officially a troop. And so we, in the very first episode, get this hilariously obvious like troop sidekick friend character that's clearly just a recruiting tool. But then secondly, like the opening scene of the entire series is the Falcon trying to like intercept and save another troop that's been captured. But the people are about to fly into Libyan airspace and they don't want to let the Falcon fly into Libyan airspace. They're like... Oh, are they going to have... And I think there's a, a dialogue with this troop where the Falcon said... He's like, Falcon, you're about to fly into Libyan airspace. And Falcon says, and I'm guessing that they're not like stoked about that. And the troop <laughs> is like, yeah, that wouldn't be good. And it's just like, okay, why wouldn't it be good? Because we literally cooed them like a decade ago. And now like their country is like in the ravages of actual slave slave trading again because of the United States. So first of all, it's hilarious that it's like, oh, the Libyan government wouldn't like it if we came in. Like, yeah, it didn't work out very well. (laughs) Anyway, and then secondly, after they successfully rescue the soldier, they go to Tunisia and um, Sam, played by Anthony Mackie, is just like sitting in some like open air bazaar in Tunisia. And this random old uh, Arab man stops and in Arabic says to him, like, total non sequitur. He just interrupts the conversation between Sam and this troop. He says in Arabic to Anthony Mackie, thank you for bringing my wife back to me. And like, <laughs> ha- like puts his arm around his wife. And then Sam responds in Arabic to him, like this character. <laughs> just like, and anyway, so it's just like, man, um, Marvel really going out of their way to be like, See, we're friendly with Arab people. <laughs> and like Sam returned this man's wife to him. Anyway, it's just so over the top. But then on top of all that shit, the enemies in the fucking show is a group called like Flag Smashers who want <laughs> to unite all nations as one global nation and live in harmony together. And their their literal motto is one world, one, one. people. And they're the fucking enemies. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to say like, I called it. I'm just going to say that I called it. <laughs> it's just like, it's the most insane crap. Like these people that have this like totally normal and like good goal are, are the enemies. And I just think it's like a huge moment going forward. Like we've seen this a lot that, and I think we'll continue to see it more, but it, it almost feels like Marvel's like response to Antifa, even the way that like the characters are dressed and like the way they organize and stuff it, it and their logo is red. It's just like, it's total red baiting and um, follows a pattern that I want to get into more. But Brian, no. what takes did you have? I, I, text- I, will, I oh. will say that that is so weirdly in line with like the plot of the Left Behind novels. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sorry, is Nikolai Carpathia the villain here? Like anyway, sorry, well, you, go, you go, Brian. No, no, that's funny you say that because the rapture literally happens in the Marvel right. universe. Like it's called the blip. Like Thanos literally snaps and half of the world's population disappears. 
Well, and that's part of the, so, the flag smashers. That's part of their kind of manifesto, if you will, is that things were better back then. And now there's all these people who don't have any place to live and don't have food and we should be supporting them. Wouldn't it be better if we basically had, you know, back when everybody was taken care of and Marvel is like, no, no, because we would have lost Black Panther or whoever. Well, I can't remember who died. Black Panther didn't actually get blipped, I don't think, or Spider-Man, whatever right. it was. And it's like... Yeah, Black Panther gets blipped. Doesn't yeah. he? Okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it's it's like... I mean, as soon as I saw, as soon as you said, Isaac, as soon as you tell you, he's like, oh, I have a, I have a, a, a Falcon and Winter Soldier take. You need to watch it. I was like, okay. And I got like, like maybe two seconds past Flag Smashers, No Borders. I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is, you know, it's like, wait, these are the bad guys? <laughs> it's like the guy, the people that are like, we don't, we, we think that nationalism and borders uh, create more problems than they solve. It's like, oh, Marvel coming in with the weird, uh, the weird take. I guess that's a flex, but it's yeah. I my only take is the same thing as you. Is I, I don't think it's especially coming off of something like Wandavision. Did you watch Wandavision? Either of you? Yeah, yeah. It's I like did. Wandavision, which I thought was really wonderful and like this like amazing kind of like blurring the lines about what it means to be kind of like uh, good versus bad, like that a weird binary between those two places. And this whole thing that is kind of just built in steeped in like one Marvel character's uh, like absolute grief about something that had happened also related to uh, similar to the blip and everything. And it's like, they went from that to this and it was like, it was like, I don't, it's like, it's like, Oh, the same people are not writing this, obviously, because that one was so well written. And then it's like you said, you have Falcon sitting in an open air with Torres, who actually was not necessarily a soldier. I think he's actually like CIA, like special ops type of person. Uh, if you go back and listen, there's a couple of things when he's trying to fix his little machine. He's like, last time I let the special ops people touch it, they or the or the security people touch it, they messed it up forever or something like that. So, well, I. I- I oh wait do you mean troop the troop or yeah, Sam uh, Torres isn't it, his name no, is Torres I, no I refuse he does not have a name he's the troop <laughs> okay, well. I think the whole point because when he's in Switzerland tracking down the flag smashers he's like I'm not I'm not exactly sure how jurisdiction works here because he's literally a troop operating in like a foreign country because Sam asked him to anyway so I mean but. To go back to the WandaVision thing, though, I agree with you about that, except the whole sort of B-plot of that movie is post-blip. We've brought back, like, instead of S.H.I.E.L.D., now we have, like, S.W.O.R.D., this also massive government, military, like, paramilitary apparatus, like, around the WandaVision thing. So, like, I just... And then, just to kind of go back, I think all of this really started getting ramped up when Captain Marvel got made because it is such a blatant commercial for the Air Force that the Air Force even like made recruiting commercials based off of footage from Captain Marvel. It's like, you can be like Brie Larson and and like join the Air Force and become Captain Marvel maybe by some freak accident when we send you into like, <laughs> you know, past the speed of sound with no, across the Libyan airspace border. That's when it yeah, would happen. Really <laughs> That's why you can't go. We can't have more than one Captain Marvel. That's why. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it also like it just reminded me of uh, a couple years ago when Marvel announced a cooperation with Northrop Grumman on a like line of comics where Northrop Grumman, which for people who don't know, is a massive uh, weapons manufacturer, like one of the biggest in the world. Marvel and Northrop Grumman like teamed up for comics for kids that were rec- like basically recruiting pitches to like become STEM majors so you can get a- hired by Northrop Grumman because in this episode, Northrop Grumman was like supporting Iron Man. And there was like such an outrage online that Marvel canceled the the contract with them. Like, but it's just the whole thing. Yeah, it, it's wild. And it's it's a little sad because for a while with like the Captain America stuff, there was this skepticism about governments and Captain America's role in the military industrial complex. Like that's like basically the plot of two movies. And now that Chris Evans character is gone, we're straight back into like the troop, the troopaganda with Falcon and the winter soldier. So it just, yeah, it's just killing me. Yeah. It, I, it was, I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is an interesting segue into the topic of youth ministry, just because the, you know, prevalence of Marvel, right? Like my kid. Well, we've started, 
the youth ministry pod in the most youth minister way possible, which is talking about oh, yeah. the theological implications of a Marvel movie. Right, right, right. You yeah, want to- totally, 100%. <laughs> kids, kids, do you really want to know who a superhero really is? Turn to me to page uh, whatever. Um, so it's like share around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn, we're going to, I'm going to, I feel like I'm just going to get constantly owned in this one because I'm just not, I'm just not going to mention any of the cliches that I've actually done in my youth ministry life. So we'll just, I'll just be like nodding and be like, yeah, those guys. We were, well, um, I think we should put cards on the table that we are all current or former youth ministers. So, yeah. I mean, none of us are free from sin. <laughs> no, we've all, we've all fallen and turned away from God's life. Now, okay. See, this is, uh, see, like I, yeah. And I, I don't know how much both of you identify with it still, but like in my DNA, that's who I am. Like I just, I am, I will always be uh, have have the bring the youth uh, pastor energy to, to whatever place church or secular uh, that I'm in. So I, I I have a conflicted history, and it's something that I'd like to actually to talk about about the usefulness of it and whether it still is kind of useful at some point. But yeah, it's you know I we did start off in the most youth minister way, but I think that you know when you have the power, I guess, of like the good side to be optimistic about that for a change is that you know when kids are watching something like Wandavision, there is a very thin line that you can walk. Of uh, being able to connect with something that's important to kids uh, and be able to show them that there are like theological truths, if you will, lowercase t, capital T, whatever, in something like that. I mean, one, one of the WandaVision things that came across is that I, that line, you know, what is uh, what is uh, grief if not love enduring, right? Like that's that's not like, it's not biblical, obviously, but it is one of those things that you can, well, maybe it could be, but whatever. Anyway, I'm just saying, like it's one of those things that I think that if a kid latches on to that, there are ways of doing it that is aren't the turn the chair around and like and adopting youth pastor voice to connect it to Jesus. I just think that there's the church has typically been really bad at showing kids where God kind of is outside of you know the church and outside of quote unquote Christian media and stuff like that. So in some ways, I I, I agree that we did start this off kind of cliche wise, <laughs> made perhaps unintentionally, uh, but it is one of those things of like that's the line that you kind of have to walk. You be, have to kind of live in that world a little bit. I, I don't know thoughts. I don't know. I mean, I th- I think it's like, I yeah. I don't know. I think that you can just you know, we all, we don't always have to like. When we're talking to youth about like shit that they watch or like pop culture stuff they like. I think you can just talk about it, and you don't have to like be like. And if this were Christian, then we would say this. You can just be like, oh yeah, this thing about grief. Is anybody like? Does anybody struggle with grief? Like or whatever the fuck. Yeah. But I know that one of the uh, when I was a youth pastor, one of the more mem- memorable. Um, meeting discussions we had was when the Hunger Games movie came out, and there was this like online outrage about casting. Oh my God, what is her name? Oh, as as Rue. No, the person who plays Cadness. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Oh yeah, there was this like online outrage about people saying she was too fat to play the character, and uh, I brought it up in a youth meeting, and um, it ended up like turning into like. A really intense conversation, like with you know the the young women in the room, just kind of took over and were like, "Yeah, this shit happens all the time." Anyway, but there's just so much bad shit about youth ministry. We'll get into it. But the last thing I want to say in this whole like Captain, sorry, transition uh, was too early. (laughs) No, it's fine. It's fine. Just like I just want to bring us back one more time. I think the worst part about it is that like the other thing that feels like sort of not accidental about the timing of all this is that like here we are getting all this like propaganda right after the changing of the administration and it seems to be like oh all these institutions are good again now that they're being run by Joe Biden and and then you see like the the election laws being passed in Georgia and people tweeting at like Coca-Cola and like all these and Marvel, which by the way, films all their shit in Georgia, in Atlanta, like being like, oh, do you support this? Like Delta, will you like pull your multi-billion dollar business out of the state of Georgia if they don't let people vote? Like, no, they won't. Corporations will not. Like just the idea that people think that that's an effective strategy for changing these laws instead of actually going out and organizing and like protesting in the streets just makes me so fucking... So fucking depressed. Like I'm sure there are people tweeting at Anthony Mackey right now. Like you filmed Falcon and the Winter Soldier in Georgia. What do you have? What do you have to say about these laws? Like Marvel slash Coca Cola slash whoever the fuck corporation is not going to save us from our political problems. In fact, 
the shit they put out is 100% fueling them. So just that's the end of my rant. And I also think <laughs> that was a good one. I, uh, I, just going back to the Biden administration, I, I can't remember where I saw it about, but either he or somebody in his administration said they were going to bring uh, honor or respectability back to the CIA and the FBI. And I was like, oh God. I was like, this right here, this is the tweet uh, where it's just like, no, you, you all have missed the point on this one. So yeah, that that's uh, that's some... That's an opinion, I guess. Uh, it's certainly a take. Yes, it is a take. All right, so youth ministry then. Are we, are we ready to try? Do we, I just don't want to want to cut off any more good uh, Marvel takes. I'm done talking about Marvel. Okay, we'll see. Am I, well, oh, wait. Sorry, no, I'm not. Because now I have to... There's one more segue here. At the same time, the Snyder Cut was just released on HBO Max. And weirdly, it's like almost worse than the Marvel movies in some ways because of the people who are executive producing them. And uh, I just, I need to point this out as many times as possible. But Steve Mnuchin was an executive producer on Justice League. The Koch brothers are executive producers on Wonder Woman, on the Wonder Woman films. Like, why just everybody sit down when you're yes queening that movie, even though Gal Gadot was in the IDF and like helped kill Palestinian children. Why would the Koch brothers be interested in what's depicted in that film? So anyway, now I'm done. Now I'm truly done. I feel like we're getting a glimpse of Isaac as a youth pastor. It's like, kids, kids, kids. What you don't understand about Wonder Woman is... (laughs) POV, you're a youth pastor going through something. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Well, I don't don't know where you all want to start with this. I mean, one of the things that... uh, Yeah, I, I guess I'll start. Like, I'm eternally frustrated by a true desire to kind of like, kind of work with kids and teenagers and be a part and, and show them how the church can be, or the church or their, at least a faith or what it means to kind of be a person of faith and to kind of act and work in the world. Like, I think that's important. And I probably always, always will. So I, I balance that with the side of most of the youth pastors that I kind of see and interact with online are sometimes just doing things that it's just like, like I don't like I don't understand what's happening, and so I guess do we start with like is youth ministry a um, is it simply just this outdated thing, this thing that has kind of failed? It was a part of you know trying to trying to mimic bigger churches that were doing something, or is there something valuable about giving teenagers their own space? I guess in the church and like what does it look like? And we you know, also CJ, you were like president of your uh, of your youth group or something like that. I, was. I, I remember seeing that. So so I, I don't know. Like I guess maybe what do we talk about? Like our youth, own youth ministry experiences, do we think it's valuable still? Like we can kind of, there's so many ways to go in this. I don't want to drive it with my own agenda of pro-youth ministry propaganda. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to come out as anti-youth ministry and that I think it's really important for teenagers to have spaces where they can explore their questions about faith and also just like hang out in ideally in a place where, uh, where like some of the pressures of um, like other forms of teen social life can be relieved, which uh, is maybe just like my experience of youth group, because uh, as mentioned, (laughs) I was president of the youth council in high school, but my, my youth group experience, I think was kind of strange because we had big chunks of time where we didn't have a youth minister because of the finances of our church and some of like the internal politics of our church. Uh, And so, especially like my senior year of high school, we just kind of got to run it ourselves. It was like a couple of youth parents and like me and my best friends, like just kind of running the ship. Uh, And and I think that really shaped my understanding of what youth ministry can be, because if I hadn't had that space in high school, um, that was that was pretty separate from my academic life and like my sports life but was also a place pretty markedly away from my parents, like, like didn't have a ton of parental supervision. I don't know that like I would still have as lively a faith as I do now. Like, I think that was really the bedrock of a lot of my theological convictions that I, I still hold to. So yeah, I'm pro youth ministry. I am pro letting the inmates run the asylum as it were, like let the teens go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just like anything else in the church or just in life, it can be good and it can be bad <laughs> depending on like 
the community that's formed around it. So, you know, we've all heard a billion youth ministry nightmare stories, especially when it comes to sex. So if it's if it's about like if it's another instrument of the churches trying the church trying to control people's bodies and control what they do with them, then yeah, it sucks and fuck that, it should not exist. But if it's what CJ just talked about, then I think it can be a really good thing. And the other thing is that I think the youth are desperately in need of people to come into their lives and help them figure out when the hell is being done to them by adults, especially in school. I mean, teenagers are so wildly overworked. They're like extremely unhappy because they have to spend literally every second making themselves attractive to college admissions boards and whatever else. And I think that... uh the church has a ton to say, not only about like the capitalist bullshit that's at play there, but also just about what it means to be a human being that counteracts a lot of that toxic shit. So should youth ministry be a thing? Yeah, absolutely. Should it be about like a youth pastor, you know, getting hired to attend every extracurricular event that the kids do so that their parents don't have to be there? Like, no, it should no, it shouldn't. I mean, they, every time I worked at a church as a youth pastor that said like, we want you to attend all the kids' extracurricular stuff, I would just be like, um, no, because that's a full-time job in and of itself. But secondly, they don't care if I'm there. They care if you're there. Like, they want you to be there. They don't give a shit if their youth pastor's there. Yeah, yeah I only went if I was invited, which yeah. means I went to a lot of middle school plays. Ooh. Yeah, oh, second only to middle school band concerts in terms of uh, pain and multiple graduations on the same day. I used to have to do that too, where you have to hit like three different graduations and you realize there's only one valedictorian speech in high school that's ever given. Yeah, I, I think that that, I mean, part of what that is that comes out of young life, right? Like that's the young life model model of of relational youth ministry, quote unquote, that I think is important. I think what, what they're trying to say is we want, they're trying to say half of what you're saying, Isaac, which is we want an adult in their lives that can kind of show them the importance of things and help them see things clearly. They do not want the other half of that statement in my experience most of the time. Um, okay, of, are we written? Uh, this is truly shocking. We've got a positive word about Young Life. No, 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 no. I was going to transition to back to Young Life. Don't worry. I'm saying okay. that that's where it comes from. It comes from that relational model, that idea of like, we're going to create spaces for adults who care about teenagers and uh, opportunities for teenagers to feel cared about. Like that's, that's where it all comes from. We'll get to Young Life in a minute. Uh, I have it on my list. But, but I think that the... Um, the thing that what happens in a lot of churches and a lot of youth ministries is they don't go that other half. Like one thing I said to a kid one time is like, if you really took this stuff seriously, like that, that we're talking about is like, they'd fire me because you wouldn't take the SAT and you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy into a lot of the systems that, that people are saying you have to do. You would actually follow where your kind of heart or whatever your conscience, your uh, sense of justice is leading you. And it probably wouldn't be to Oregon state university right down the road. You would probably go somewhere else. And what, as soon as I said that, I was like, oh, man. I was like, I don't know if I should say that very loud because it's like, you know, it's my source of income. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, it's true. I mean, that that's one of those things of like, it's essentially supposed to be set up to kind of unleash kids into the world and onto the church. But what it actually does is it, it, it a lot of times, it just tries to trap kids in the youth room only so they don't get unleashed and so that they, they don't change a lot of the stuff that happens um, in the church. Because if teenagers, if you really did let teenagers go and make changes and have actual voices in the legislation and, and polity and other things of the church, both um, locally, but and broadly, I was like, there would be a lot of things that adults would not like about that because fundamentally, okay, now I'm like almost close to preaching, but fundamentally we are like, Scared of teenagers. If you look at the shit that happens when in culture, when when teenagers get excited about that something, almost immediately there's a reaction of like, or they're or mocking, right? Or it's adults who take who latch onto something like eating Tide Pods and they try to claim that as this like teenage phenomenon. But the thing that I always come back to is when fidget spinners became a thing. The amount of outrage by adults of like these kids have fidget spinners in class, and it's like. We're just essentially scared of anything that teenagers like because I think that teenagers actually care about stuff and they have an urgency to things that adults have lost and forget about. So anyway, that's a whole thing uh, that I just that I just went on. Sorry. 
don't know. But thoughts on that? Like, I, I think that you're exactly right is what I was trying to say, Isaac, but I just couldn't say it so simply. I think that it is the thing that, that we want kids to be connected to the church, but not so connected that they might actually change it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Podcast over. I was going to say, this could be like our shortest episode ever. I think we've already said it pretty much all. <laughs> we, we, we can get into young life. There's, there are bad aspects of it too, but I mean, I just think Young that, life is like legit a uh, right-wing like political organization funded by all the worst people on earth. Like the family that we've talked about before on the pod that like... Washington DC group that runs the National Prayer Breakfast that there was that big Netflix documentary about they pay for Young Life like Young Life is about politically disengaging teens and or like getting them a part of the conservative branch of politics so I mean I think that's the that's the reality about this is that it's making me go back to Kevin's like episode three, when we had my friend Kevin Rose on the historian to talk about the Moody Bible Institute and why it was created. He, you know, he says in that in that episode that Moody was quoted as saying, like, these people will either be evangelized or they'll be radicalized. And I think the exact same thing is is true about teenagers today. Like things like Young Life and the church in general are 100 percent about sort of disengaging them from the world and turning their critical lens, their creativity, their interest inward on themselves so that, you know, they are, they become instruments for control. CJ, you were going to say something, but I also do, I do want to remember if we, I can't remember what episode it is where Isaac talked about his uh, youth pastor from back in the day, uh, which I think had a, had a Camaro. Was that what it was? No, it was when I was a youth pastor, there was a young life oh, guy in okay. the same county who had a Camaro. His name was Cam. He had a Camaro with a license plate that said blessed. That's right. Oh my God. Was I on the app for that one? Yeah, you were. <laughs> I don't remember that. I was, I was trying to remember the specifics. I, just, I, knew, I knew it was gold. We just had to dig, dig a little deep to get there. Um, so I see Jay, I cut you off though. I, honestly, I don't remember what I was going to say. I've been so distracted by Cam with the Camaro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, hey, kids, if you want to get a Camaro, then love Jesus. There it is. Well, and that, that actually was the point I was just about to make of for Young Life. A lot of what Young Life is, though, is trotting out the most popular kids, the beautiful kids, the ones that are supposed to be the ideal, putting them up front and uh, basically making them play games to kind of further their own popularity and their own sense of kind of entitlement uh, in that school situation. And it becomes a place where that relational youth ministry is not about Cam with uh, showing up in his Camaro at the football game. It's about, you know, creating another kind of culture of cool, if you will, that shows that's meant to actually disengage, I would say, kids from the actual church in a way that they kind of do get them kind of in this own little pocket where it's like, look, the only time you can have these kind of religious experiences is when we're playing messy games with a chip up at the front and Cam is, you know, is leading us or whatever it is, because it's all becomes this base level theology that happens where it is like if you're a part of this group then you get to be a part of the quote-unquote cool group but if you are ugly or you know overweight or poor or god forbid gay uh don't come because you know we don't we don't want you to ruin our vibe here at at young life and that's legit what it is um so anyway and i i will say that i i cut my teeth if you will in youth ministry and ministry in general uh by starting at young life i made it like three months before i was like oh this is whack <laughs> uh, to use the hip uh, language of the kids, but it was like totally bonkers. I was like, I, this, I don't, I don't want to do this. Um, and I, and I was out. So anyway, Ryan in the eighties was like, this is whack, yo. And like walked out of the young life building. <laughs> the eighties, calm down. <laughs> this is like late 1990s, early 2000s. <laughs> Let's calm down with the eighties when I was four. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I agree with everything you said, but I also think that like part of part of the young life model is also just um, like rife for abuse, and like that's what really concerns me. Like, obviously, like I don't like that the young life, and I don't. Let's not. I don't want to keep calling out young life, but like it's it's the specific model, right? That is like replicated in non-denominational churches and mega churches all over the place. That is like based kind of on popularity uh, and kind of just becomes an extension of like a click um, rather than any sort of like ministry where everyone's like equal, but it's also rife for abuse. And like, uh, I just, you know, whatever, if you call me a girl now, I'll fight you. But I was grow, but I was a girl when I was growing up in youth group 
And like, I know several people who were abused by adults, like when they were in non-denominational youth group structures, because there's like not a lot of oversight over it. And I'm not saying that like more more adult oversight would um, prevent abuse, but like that specific form of like relational model, it just opens itself up to lots of forms of abuse, both sexual and spiritual. And I don't, like that's now, I think whenever we talk about youth ministry or are attempting to do youth ministry in a positive way, that's like what we have to fight against, right? Like we have, there's already this like established model where people assume that, that any youth pastor could potentially be an abuser because of the precedent set by this like really successful model. And now, <laughs> now it's like, if you're going into youth ministry at all, you're starting from a place where I think there's suspicion. Mm. Uh, not that sounded like youth pastors are like an oppressed group. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I, I mean, don't think it sounds that way. I think that I completely agree that one part of being in youth ministry is confronting the reality of how much teenagers are abused in our society in general, in their homes, in churches, at school, whatever. Like there is a lot of abuse, and I, yeah, I think it's really relevant. I mean, I don't think you were, didn't come off like you were defending youth pastors. No, I mean, there's a joke to be made, but I won't make it here. Um, won't wait. But I think that too, there's something also connected to the amount of interest, support, resources, whatever you want, that are actually given to a lot of ministries that are supposedly for building up, you know, children and teens. And you don't see people who may want to stick it out, who might actually be good at this and could be kind of barriers to some of that abuse in one way or another, because they just can't do it, whether it's financially or from like a professional standpoint. I mean, just pulling from my own, you know, I I make, I made, I didn't make above $25,000 until I was like 10 years in youth ministry. Um, and luckily I had a wife that made money and we could actually, well, quote unquote, survive. Um, but I, I just, I wonder too, like, is like this, the church is kind of, it's, there's a double talk that happens. So it's like, we want to protect kids and we want to, um, we want kids and, and teenagers to be a part of the church. Where are all the teens? Why aren't they coming after confirmations? Yada, yada, whatever. And part of that comes from a fact that we're not actually investing in Things that are going to kind of create something or those spaces beyond 18 you know, months, 24 months stints where you have somebody who might be super, what do you call it? Uh, a very like, uh, I'm trying to think of my word. Charismatic. Charismatic. God, sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I can't, I've been an eventful, eventful morning. So anyway, charismatic, a uh, charismatic person. Then as soon as they leave, you're starting over again. And that kind of, that kind of dynamic right there, it can, can contribute to those op, uh, situations where uh, abuse happens. Because if you're just constantly looking for somebody who can come in and be like a flashy, um, usually guy, unfortunately, you know, who is like cool and has cool hair and stuff like that, it sets churches up for to create opportunities for that sort of abuse to happen. Or if it's happening outside of the church, for it never to be seen because you're never having a consistent leader that actually cares about the person um, for a long stretch of time. So anyway, I'm kind of in my own feelings at this point. Feel free to argue about that or tell me where I got, where I missed something with it. Because I, I, I do have some, a certain amount of blinders around this topic. It's something that I care about. And I just think, I think the church has just done a shitty job at, at raising up people that actually want to lead and be around youth as a career, as a calling, even if you want to call it that. And instead, they just kind of go for the latest and greatest person, whoever they can find um, and get cheaply. So anyway. Well, I this, you know, it always comes back to the same shit, right? It's a matter of, will we actually pay people in ministry real cost of living and with benefits and shit in order to get... Like, it, how it, it's just crazy how many churches are like, how little can we pay to find a person to hang out like, and be involved in the emotional lives of our teenagers. Like that, that's an insane sentence to hear. Like, how can yeah. we like get this done as cheaply as possible? <laughs> right. Oh no, it turned out horribly because we hired someone with maybe good intentions, but no credentials or training. Wow, shocker. Yeah, or, yeah. or why are teenagers in- are leaving the church? Oh, what do we do? It's like, I don't know. Invest in it. Anyway, go ahead. No, it's just like when I was in the Episcopal Service Corps, which is literally a service here, like you're, you're 
volunteering to get paid nothing and uh, live with a bunch of roommates like for free. Like I was assigned to be a youth director and that was like, I just walked into this church, like sight unseen. Like I could have been any Joe Schmo off the street and like I had to do a background check, but it's not like those are great. And personally, I was like really intimidated by being assigned to be a youth director to a church that I had never been to or even interviewed with because you never, like you never know what a church is going to be like, like walking into that situation. And suddenly I was like technically in leadership. So that was a really weird situation for me. And I think, I just want to say that I think that I succeeded in not irrevocably fucking up any of my youth. Like (laughs) I think the bar's on the floor, but I think I cleared it. (laughs) Yeah. That is the only sort of acceptable conclusion or, or out of like, all the possibilities. It's like, man, I just hope that I didn't like permanently fuck up any of the kids. But also, I do think that's like related, right? Like, no, the churches don't want to fund youth ministry. It also means that only a certain type of person is going to go into youth ministry as yeah. a career. Um, and it's someone who either has outside resources or is just genuinely passionate about youth. And if you're a person with any sort of marginalized identity, it's going to be way harder for you to have a career in youth ministry without being extremely scrutinized. Like uh, I came out as gay while I was a youth director and I didn't tell my church and I just like fingers crossed, like hoped nobody found out because I didn't want, like suddenly I didn't want my youth parents to like assume that I was the predator or something because that's like such a, it's such an ingrained stereotype that I was like really worried about parental reactions. And that's just like all part of like the institutional problem of youth ministry. Yeah. Did I bring this conversation to a screeching halt? Did I pull no. Brian? Yeah, I'm glad. Woo, there <laughs> it is. Perfect. No, I just, I mean, I, again, I just don't think there's a lot of disagreement on the pod right now. <laughs> yeah, we, we, maybe we should have thought about this one a little bit more. We usually have a take where there's like, I don't know, Isaac. Um, I, I, you know, I think why I think it's important to talk about is because one of the reasons why we wanted to do this pod uh, in general, and I would say that, this podcast comes about as a result of youth ministry because I quit my job in youth ministry to go write curriculum, met Isaac through that connection. And then um, he, he was like, hey, we should start a podcast. Shortened version of that. But so anyway, so the world has been blessed with uh, until we get canceled because of youth ministry. So just putting that out there. But I think it's like if, if there is, if part of our stated kind of goal of this podcast is to give resources for pastors and for lay people, and even I think for teenagers, you know, who might be looking for kind of a different way of seeing things, like talking about youth ministry, but youth ministry is one of those things that I think especially clergy get thrown into, similar to CJ, what you're talking about, but they have no gifts, no callings for that, no calling to that. And all of a sudden they're kind of supposed to stand up in front of, you know, 13, 14 teenagers and they think they have to be cool. Uh, And if we know anything from this podcast, that most clergy are not cool. (laughs) Uh, And most clergy have no idea what it takes to to kind of talk and be around teenagers. And so I guess for me, one of the reasons to do this is not the fact to find a major disagreement, but it's just to say that like all you have to do is occupy that space with just like a, a, a semblance of being a rational adult. And who cares about the kids that you're that you're uh, around, and then you're gonna you're gonna succeed for the most part in youth ministry because the kids don't care about anything you're teaching. They don't care about anything that you're gonna talk about. They barely care about the trips and the and the fun things that you're gonna take on. All they're going to take away is the stuff that you kind of are like you being there and being a part of their lives. Uh, and I, I've seen that you know time and time again in my own career is I'm still connected with a bunch of the kids who are now all in like their 30s, um, and I still reach out and I get to talk to them and kind of find out what's happening. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I taught them about whatever. Um, it was just because I was around and because I didn't, like you said, screw anybody up, hopefully. Too bad. Except for the one kid who told me that Obama was for the poor people and I kind of had to put him on blast uh, <laughs> back in the day. But, but I, think he's, I think he's doing fine. So Yeah, that one kid. Yeah. Hey, if yeah. you're out there listening, fuck you. <laughs> Brian still hates you. Um, yeah. I will say that it was... Producers cut. It was, <laughs> no, do not cut that. I love, I'm the one that has all the control. I just, I write down where we need notes. So I just want, I mean, I should just start shaping every podcast. So it looks like I'm making these grand points. And then all of a sudden I just like cut, cut Isaac down. Just being like, yeah, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> just like make, make these grand cuts. Anyway, go ahead. Our listeners are too smart for that. I <laughs> know, yeah, especially now. <laughs> Something's no, off. But I, I think the funny thing about coolness is that I always made it my goal to be 
the most embarrassing person in the room so that the kids would never be worried about embarrassing themselves because I was just like, I'm not going to try to like have any pretensions about being able to do anything athletically or anything that I can't do. And like, in fact, if there's something that like requires vulnerability, I'll try to like, you know, put it on 10 so that none of these awkward middle schoolers or like high schoolers have to be afraid that they'll like make a fool of themselves in front of their peers. Like I always tried to make sure that I was the dumbest person there. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the camp counselor thing where you just like, you've got to be the one to talk about poop so that when someone like has an accident, they'll actually come tell you about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, and and there are people out there that are, that do this really well. um, And, and, and actually think, pretty big uh, thoughts <laughs> about youth ministry. Like Andy Root is one of them. I think Mark Ostriker, Marco, as he goes by, is another one uh, that I think is, he borders on the line of, he I think has relevance in some of the evangelical, but I think is pretty left-wing at this point. But uh, but I think that like what you're saying is like, that's the fundamental thing about youth ministry. That's that's what makes our, the youth ministry that and the children's ministry that I'm in right now um, important is because we're very open to a lot of kids that are neurodivergent. And there's a sense that you can kind of come into this place however you are. And if that means you're showing up like, you know, my kid did on Children's Chapel a couple of weeks ago with no shirt on holding a lightsaber. And it's like, you're 14, bro. What are you doing? Um, like, it's like, okay, that's cool because that's just who this kid is. And I think that that's, you know, there is no disagreement again, like you said on the pod. It's going to be a short episode because we all agree that it's probably important and, and needs to be done better. But it's like, that's the, that's the thing. That's the bar. I think the bar is actually is really low, but I think it's like also incredibly high at the same time. Because if we want to keep kids connected into the faith, and if we want kids to keep uh, connected to the church, you know, uh, mileage may vary on, <laughs> on the, maybe that's where our disagreement is on this, uh, on this thing is keeping them connected. But it's, you have to invest in it and do it in the, what we're talking about. You have to be the most embarrassing person in the room. Um, the last thing that I'll say is that I did not model that because I had all these kids who wanted to beat me in basketball and I would play all, all these kids in one-on-one basketball and I never lost in my whole career and I used to put that shit on my resume. So uh, I, I, I'm like about as youth minister as they come for that reason alone. So. I yeah. believe that it's a duty to always humiliate um, like teenagers in basketball as much as possible. So, so yeah, if they want this smoke, they better, if they don't want this smoke, they better not come on the court. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's like you. That's the that's the first thing they teach you is like you gotta you ha- you gotta get your jump shot correct, uh, or, else, or else the kids are just gonna punk you the whole time. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. but I mean, like as I was listening to this, and maybe this is the point I've been trying to work towards, and I just haven't figured out how I, how to articulate it yet. But like, I think we talk we've talked a lot about youth pastors or like what a youth minister has to do, and. I mean, like, I think part of it is that the youth minister is actually way less important than the current model makes them out to be. Like, like yes, we should pay them way more than they get paid. But um, like a youth minister isn't around. I, I just, I guess like maybe this is the point that I've been trying to work towards is that I don't think that a youth minister's goal should be to have like a personal one-on-one relationship with every single one of their youth where they're like talking about deep spiritual things, but a youth minister, I guess more much like a pastor <laughs> is like, should be trying to cultivate a community where everyone feels welcome and where every teenager can feel like they're able to be open about spiritual things, whether that's with their peers or with an adult that's not their parents, which is sometimes hard for teenagers. And like the proudest moment of my youth ministry was when like an exchange student came to our youth group and she was um, trans and she was from France, which is like extremely Catholic. And she had never, she told us that she, she told the youth group that she had never felt welcome in a church before then. And that wasn't like me, like she barely talked to me, but she talked to my youth and she talked, like she talked to the girl she was staying with and she talked to everyone else in my youth group when we were playing dumb games. And that was about them. And, and like, I just think that the current model of youth ministry focuses way more on like adults creating a space when it's like way more about just like making sure teenagers aren't little shits to each other. Mm-hmm. I completely agree about that. And and I think the other thing that I want to point out sort of moving away from the discussion of youth pastors is that 
so many of the conversations we have on the pod or so many of our peers who have left the church have done so because of like shit that happened to them in youth group, you know, trauma they experience spiritually or emotionally. And I think that we kind of as a generation are, I don't know, we just, I, I mean, I see a lot of people who heard some bad theology in those spaces and now like don't have a relationship with God because of it. And I, yeah, I just think it's maybe a cultural phenomenon that started with Gen X, who knows, but it's definitely continued in a big way for millennials. And that's something I think we need to to recognize that a ton of people have not had good experiences. And, and because of that, they may have like really different takes than we do about this whole question. Oh yeah, for sure. I've heard some wild youth group stories. <laughs> like people find out that I was a youth minister and they're like, let me tell you about the craziest shit that went down at my youth group. And it's insane. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the uh, Selmer, you know, youth group song about how it's all just about exploring your own, uh, your own sexuality in those, in the lock-ins, um, it kind of, kind of nails it, right? Like, there's a, uh, there's a sense that, and it, well, I'm not going to go there. I was going to say, I might, I might have the hottest take uh, based on that, but... What I was going to say is like, what if youth ministry then was just this place where it's like, yeah, put all the kids together, just let them do what they want. But I, I don't know that I want to uh, go on the record as, as publicly saying that. Uh, but that's what that's what ends up happening, and I think it, there's a correlation of that with what's being said here, which is, yeah, creating the space for the kids to kind of let them be uh, have that space as a unique space that separates them from the kind of uh, capitalistic or materialistic or like competitive nature of every other part of their life, and just so saying, hey, here's an hour and a half where you can do whatever the hell you want. I'm going to be here to order pizza for you, and um, if we talk about God, cool, and if we don't, and all you all do is sit around and talk. Awesome. You know, it's like giving kids that that space, I think, uh, might be part of what's important. So, oh, go ahead, CJ. I just really thought this was going to be a more heated discussion. I, <laughs> yeah. Usually it is. I know. I just, we're like 50 minutes in. It's like, oh, well, OK, I don't I don't, I don't have the, the same uh, fight or flight. Um, like usually at the end of the pod, I'm just like, well, I'm, get, I'm either getting canceled or I'm quitting, rage quitting. One of the two things is going to happen by the end of this. We got yeah, 10 minutes. Brian Let's has not even happens. attempted to self-cancel yet. <laughs> well, I can't because this is actually something I care about. The rest of that shit we talk about, I'm just like, I'm just here for I'm just here for the clicks and the eventual uh, Patreon uh, support, uh, you know, but this is something that I actually care about. All that other stuff. Who cares? I will say that I do think that uh, teenagers want to talk about God. Like, Oh, they do. Oh, I, I do think they do too. <laughs> I'm just saying that I don't think it has to be, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth on this. I don't think you have to tie in, like I mentioned tying in, you know, Falcon and the Soldier or, or WandaVision to Christianity. And I think that there become that, and I think there is a, thing, if it comes up, you have to be ready to be able to pivot to that mindset. But I also don't think like if you take kids and you go ride go-karts or something like that, right? Like you don't have to like be like, so, you know, there are a lot of hills on that course. And sometimes in life, you know, you're, you, you don't have stop. to, yeah. don't, don't even finish it. <laughs> but you don't, don't have to, trigger. you don't have to do that. But I think that those are the things that lead you to the point when the kid does want to talk about God. That you, that you have that relationship set up already. So I, I think they do too. And I think the church has done a shitty job at giving them spaces because they either put terrible curriculum in front of them and think, okay, well, that's it. Or they do, they port what the adults want to talk to uh, talk about into the thing with a, with a huge agenda rather than just letting the kids kind of self-present the stuff that they care about. So, Well, I think that maybe my final word on the whole deal is that, you know, youth ministers, churches in general, I mean, there's, could there be anything more important right now than helping kids learn that their problems have political causes and political solutions? I mean, our teenagers are taught how to like hide from mass shooters before they're taught how to read in this country. And I read the other day uh, in Mariam Kaba's new collected essays from Haymarket, we do this till we free us, that 70% of incarcerated people in California were in the foster care system as children or teenagers. Like just, yeah, I, I just today, the George Floyd, or no, sorry, the Derek Chauvin trial is taking place and they had the like cashier from the grocery store or from the gas station, he was like 19, up on the stand talking about, he like broke down in tears saying, if I hadn't accepted the $20 bill, then like none of this would have happened because the cops were called because he had to report 
that he got a counterfeit bill because his pay was docked every time he accepted a counterfeit bill. So it's like, even there, this like 19-year-old kid having to dodge wage theft by his employer ends up becoming, you know, wrapped up in this in this horrible episode of police violence. So I just it's crazy to think all the shit that's happening to teenagers right now in our country, but I mean, that's real. And and I think the most depressing thing is when people like want to make youth ministry something that is exactly what you're talking about, Brian, that like doesn't really ever engage with like the real shit that they're going through. And I don't want to trigger us down that road because I think we all just agree more about it. But just to say one more time, like just helping young people see that their problems have political causes and political solutions. I think it's, it has to be done so that we're not like tweeting at Marvel to save us from the Republicans. <laughs> well, I don't know if any takes have been revealed. I think we we're, we kind of towed the line. I'm I'm kind of, I'm 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 slightly uh, there's there was no youth pastor energy in this whole podcast. It was all it was all just towing the line for the for the for the youth ministry uh, uh, bandwagon. I guess I, I don't know. Is there any? Do we have a fight corner? Do we want to do a fight corner just to spice it up a little bit? Or are we just going to call this and be like, you know, the most tepid episode yet? Youth ministry episode twenty three. Well, I don't know if I have a fight corner, but you know, I might as well bring it up that like you've probably, if you listen to this pod, you've probably seen that Rod Dreher recently blocked about me <laughs> and uh, die mad. Like, I don't, it's been a very weird 48 hours. Yesterday was Trans Day of Visibility, and Mark Tooley like went on a rampage and like screenshotted a bunch of my tweets where I made fun of Ronald Reagan, who, I I don't feel bad for making fun of him. So die mad about that one too. But I guess the fight corner is like, if you're this mad about like trans people going to divinity school, like reevaluate your life, reevaluate your choices. Cause like, I'm, I'm still going to go, like, I'm still going to go to Duke. And like, my main concern right now is like how many times I get stopped behind a tractor on the road into town, you know, <laughs> like, please log off. Please stop posting. Yeah. Take the Benedict option. Just get out of here. Uh, right? Benedict option. Yeah. Benedict option your ass right off, off of the uh, internet. I'd be happy to see it. I also, for the, so the Thule thing, both of these people, friends of the show, right, uh, have been brought up before. But Thule, somebody mentioned something like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll make sure to say hi to the Contras for you or something like that. And he retweeted it and he was like, well, it's like this, these dudes aren't even, they're not even pretending to have any kind of regret. So maybe I'm yeah, going to revisit but- my Dick Cheney uh, parts about where listen yeah he's mad that i uh made fun of ronald reagan's assassination attempt and also that i say the f word apparently and i just like i don't debate ethics with people who worked for the fucking cia so there There it is like that's the end of it and this almost brought isaac back onto twitter almost i would only return back to twitter (laughs) to defend cj's honor But I will say this, as I said yesterday, when all this was going down, Mark Tooley got triggered by those tweets, CJ, because you took shots at the guy who let him do a genocide. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if he has to like think for more than two seconds about what he did in Nicaragua before joining the Institute for Religion and Democracy, then he may not be able to sleep at night. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's the fight corner. My mom is like very upset by all of this. Um, shout out to Kathy. <laughs> and that's what makes me the most angry because like, I, I guess I'm kind of glad that if they are going to have to pick a trans person who's going to Duke Divinity School, I get like, I don't have any ecclesial authority that's going to get mad at me about this because uh, this is just where I truly believe God is calling me to go. And like, I don't have, you can't get mad at a bishop about me going to divinity school, unlike other people who, uh, with marginalized identities who may have to defend themselves uh, in a situation like this. So, I mean, like, I guess, like, I am not, (laughs) I'm feeling kind of blasé, but I'm very sad that this is happening to my family, again, by the same fucking dude. (laughs) Yeah, worth worth restating for the listeners that, in the episode we did on like March 8th called The Globalist Methodist Church, <laughs> when we talked about Mark Tooley, CJ brought up the fact that that he has targeted him before, like as like the topic of one of his like fundraising 
hate mails that he sent out to the IRD subscribers. So there's a really weird, long history of like paranoia and obsession in all of this. That's all I got. Yeah. So I'm going to say one more thing about Rod. <laughs> this is how he like keeps his shit going, yeah. like blogging about dumb stuff like this. Like he, but just the thought of him like scouring the internet for like fucking grievances and going through CJ's Substack. Like I just, the mental image of like Rod Dreher, like furiously reading your Substack, getting like angrier and angrier. Which is so funny because it's like of, mostly book recommendations. I know. I kind of love it, actually. Uh, but not not for you, obviously, CJ. But I do love... I mean, yeah, it's like... I mean, you already said it too long. Don't Didn't read is, is just die mad. But um, he, he is like... He, this is a picture of irrelevance, right? I can't say it. I don't, I, just this whole podcast. You know what I'm trying to say. Irrelevance, whatever. But it, that is the picture of that. He, he's just like... He has nothing. They're dinosaurs. They're, they're on their way out. And all he can do is do this. And I also, like, after I read, actually read the article that he wrote, um, the little, the shadow email that he got seems suspiciously written uh, also by him. Uh, I don't know that, I don't know that I can drop that if that's a, there's no, I have no source on that, but um, the email just I seems. I mean, he's already out here. <laughs> committing libel. So what, I mean, like, what can we do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying like the, 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 the fact that an email just happened to come in uh, and connected to all of this, it feels a little sketchy and it's just, you know, about uh, some, some lonely Duke Divinity, former Duke Divinity student who, who is just, you know, just so sad about all of the, the critical race theory that they have to read now. And the fact that if, uh, if you accept gay people, you're just going to be run out on a rail at Duke Divinity. It's like, oh, you know, it's like pining for those better days. Um, it's also just like based on everything I've heard about Duke Divinity School, patently untrue. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going in, I feel with my eyes like pretty open to like what the structural issues at Duke Divinity School are. <laughs> and that email got at none of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I've detailed them pretty. Um, <laughs> like I've detailed detailed all of my critiques of Duke out like on this pod multiple times and CJ still wants to go. I was going to say like half of our guests are uh, disgruntled former Duke graduates. So that's right. No, but the, but the funniest thing about it is that, you know, Rod constantly lives in fear. And even in like the second line about that email, he's like, he's still shaken by his experience of studying at Duke. I know that's, that's the part, like the shaken is what killed me. I was like, nobody sent you this email. Why are you trying to, God? Uh, Yeah. Well, Rod Draher. Yeah. I will okay. say that. No, <laughs> welcome, to the, oh, I was saying, welcome to the fight corner, I guess. Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to be in this Chili's parking lot, but here we are. Return, return visit, right? He just, he couldn't get enough the first time. Couldn't get yeah. enough of that ass whipping. So had to come back. Yeah. I just, you know, fuck you, Rod. And <laughs> fuck you, Mark Tooley. Yeah. Meet, meet, meet us all the Chili's parking lot. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, this is the uh, CJ doesn't fight this one alone. It's like you all are just yeah, just get ready for the storm, brothers. <laughs> also, we're gonna drop CJ's Venmo in the uh, show notes. Everyone, send money to CJ. Oh, I didn't know you were gonna say that. Yeah, I, Divinity. I book. have a job. You don't have to do that. Yeah, books, books, book money. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Seeing buy some of those suspended shooters too in Durham. I, <laughs> Real heads now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, this has really gone off the rails now. But um, yeah, and also, there, sorry, there's one more thing that that uh, the letter also, if you didn't, did you read? If you read it, said about how Willie J- uh, Jennings used to be a uh, a reasonable person when he was at Duke, but then he got treated poorly, and now is writing cuckoo things up at, at Yale. So, uh, fun shout out about to Willie Jennings too, <laughs> the cuckoo things. Yeah. So anyway, it's, there's a lot there, but truly, I mean, like. In the past 48 hours, all takes have been revealed on all sides. <laughs> so many takes. And I think, does this count? Did I actually get canceled? Oh, oh, oh. wait a second. Wow. Hold on. I almost started the show like, like, well, they tried. <laughs> that's how I should have started the show today. Um, oh, I don't know. That's, that's good. I don't think so. I, I mean, can, can you actually be canceled by somebody such as Rod Dreher? I mean, uh, yeah, they absolutely were trying to get CJ's like admission rescinded from Duke. That's why Mark was snitch tagging the Divinity School. Like, it was absolutely an attempt at cancellation, one hundred percent. Fair. And Duke, if you do cancel CJ, oh. we will like bring an army of pissed off 
shit postering alums to like give you hell. Yeah, don't kowtow to this bullshit. Come on. Um, yeah, I guess they could. I, I was trying to make light of it, but uh, I, it was more of trying to just, you know, the impotence of, of a Rod Dreher. Um, is, well, I is, guess it remains to be seen if I will be canceled, yeah. but there was the first attempted cancellation. <laughs> Jesus, like what a, what a foreboding way to end the pod. I guess we're stay tuned. <laughs> we went from out of this institution. Okay. <laughs> We went from no takes whatsoever to like tune in next week to see will CJ get to go follow their his calling. <laughs> to to my mom who absolutely is listening to this, I don't think that this is going to matter at all. Yeah, shout out to like, Kathy. I think I'll be fine. Shout out to Kathy who I've never met, but I already have great respect for just from what I've learned. So, hey, right, Greg, I'll throw Greg in there too. <laughs> all right, y'all, like and subscribe to the pod. Peace. Later. <laughs>